Hello, and welcome to Educational Triage, where we discuss issues in alternative education. This is a discussion about teaching by teachers, for teachers, and others who are interested in the alternative education world. We hope you find today's episode relevant, engaging, and useful. And if you do, please subscribe. I'm Tony Hunt, and I'm here to help guide you with the help of my friends, Christy and Philip. Welcome back. And here we are with Philip Summers. Aloha. And our missing guide has returned. She was not at the bottom of a ditch in a rolled over van. She was downstairs eating popcorn, watching a movie with her hubby, and her phone was upstairs turned off on the charger. That's why we couldn't get through to her and our lovely guide, Miss Christy Goodell. Hello. Most of that is accurate. <laughs> but not <laughs> you decide. I guess the part. Yeah, you get to choose. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight, or today, whatever, uh, this week, we are going to be discussing how do we teach purpose, and I think this is a timely issue because we have so many students who are lost. They don't know what they're going to do. They have no inkling. And it's less about what their career path is going to be and more about what are they going to do with their lives and how do they get there? How do they connect curriculum to their lives and to their ultimate goals? And I don't know whether or not a class is going to be able to completely teach purpose or to even set it on its way. Um, I'm not positive. Let me, let me begin with this quote by E.E. E. Cummings. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. So, here, here. Yes, it's about not nonconformity. So, what is let's let's define what purpose is first. So, Christy, uh, what what is your definition of purpose? Um, well, I, I feel that it can take a lot of different meanings, but if in the realm of like our students and in education, it's kind of like what is what is driving you? What is, what's kind of getting you going? And then what is the goal that you're aiming to? And what do you need in order to gain access to whatever your goal might be? It's like, why are you doing something? What, what is, what's propelling you? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Pro okay. Propulsion. Purpose oh. is propulsion. There you go. And oh, see, I like that. I know. That was good. That's that's cool. Mr. Philip. Well, not, not to tie myself down with painting the perfect picture of purpose. Um, I think it's like anything oh. else. There's degrees. Yeah, I do like that alliteration. Um, yeah, it's it just degrees of purpose. Uh, today's purpose is sometimes digging a ditch, but uh, sometimes uh, curing cancer, for example. Um, and there's a passion, though, to purpose. Um and I think that's the, the thing that we seek is 
that life's purpose or whatever that is, you know, a lot of people, um, they seek their purpose. Um, and that takes passion. And maybe that's what we're talking about. Um, when we talk about the purpose of life or purpose, the ultimate purposes, you know, what general direction you're going in medicine, for example, and then what kind of medicine, if you're going into pediatrics, you must love kids and you must face some other, you know, extremely ah, dim things about that profession as well. But that would be a purposeful profession, teaching definite purpose. Um, then again, what you said, though, what's the purpose of third period algebra two in your junior year? Well, it depends on the kid, right? It might be very purposeful or it's just yeah. an a activity that they need to accomplish in order to reach their ultimate goal, which could be graduating college so that they can get to the stuff that, you know, mm. that they really want to do, or they want to be a, a math professor. And that's just like, they love it. It's so you individualized, think, you know? Right. But do you think that purpose needs to be taught? If we were to figure out how to uh, bring this passion to the students, do you think mm -hmm. that would be something that we taught at the high school level? Or do you think that we need to begin um, fiddling about, as it were, um, with students in the earlier years? Earlier. Oh, as far as teaching purpose and passion of purpose and things like that? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's already there when it comes to that, the younger kids. Uh, well, for example, Montessori is, you know, well, okay, let me back this up for, okay. When you've got a kid in, in third period algebra two as a junior, they're seeking the that math? level of mathematics. <laughs> okay. Let's say third period math. They've you got a kid and they're, and they're trying to get through math and they're going through that. What's the purpose of that? They kind of lose sight. So there's got to be some context and a teacher that teaches math has to sort of excite the students. I think, um, as a teacher, I sort of felt it was my purpose sort of to know how to get kids excited about the subject on a daily basis, or at least give them the context to understand that it's an exciting subject. Now, I know that there's degrees just as there is with purpose. There's degrees, the excitement you can muster up about history or economics, for example, <laughs> biology, but I tried my best and I think it's a teacher's job uh, to make third period, whatever, have enough excitement context that the kids can plug into it. They can get experiential external stimulus to sort of challenge them into rising to the occasion to learn something that sort of challenges them, plugs into their being and gives them a learning experience that adds to themselves as a human being not just worksheets and make work. Now, the schedule gives them a third period every day, and that's difficult to do. It would be much nicer, for example, say, experiential things, you know, teach kids mm -hmm. things in, like, the great outdoors. I mean, nothing would be better than to envelop them in this vast stimulus of the outdoors, this deep now experience of teaching them right. with rock walls around them it just it focuses the attention like no other 
in like a classroom, but you can't make a classroom exciting. You can make your lessons exciting. You don't have to read from a text. You don't have to drone on. You don't have to use worksheets. You can make it exciting. You can make it a deep impact lesson. You know, you can make it count every day. And I guess that's what I'm saying. Kids, they hook into that. They hook into the deep now, you know, and right. if you give them that focused on the presence lessons, it listens to their anxiety. They enjoy the lesson and they actually learn more. They bond with the lesson itself. So that's the purpose that you have. And the purpose that they gain is that you have them plug that lesson into themselves as humans. Where does this mathematics plug in? It's not just third period this year, but it's right. third period this year for you somewhere in life. But where is that? Give them that example now. Yeah. So it's like the, it's appreciating the journey and experiencing the journey as more like improving the human condition yeah. and feeding your soul kind of stuff rather than like just focusing on the now. Like we're going to do Yeah, there's lots of purpose right there. I got a purpose it's, to present that lesson, you know, in the right. here and now to tell them how it fits in. How does it make a life work? And they've got right. the purpose to understand that if I'm putting out that energy, well, they've got to take that energy in and I've got to keep the lesson increasing so that they're not bored. They're challenged every day to think more and more about it. So how do I do that? I can't let up. I got to keep it interesting. I got to keep it lively. I've got to put my energy into it so that they can feed off that energy. And that makes it a good lesson. It's not just third period math. Right. Okay. So you're teaching with a purpose. The students are learning possibly for a purpose. Hopefully. But do the students but do the students actually have a purpose aside from the grade and their understanding? I think it's well very that's what I was when I was teaching, I used to teach them that learning is your purpose. And if you learn, these things will occur. And okay, so everyone and i like i like flow states i think flow states not only do i think first off they feel great when you're when you're in a flow state you're learning because you're in a deep embodiment you're in a mode whereby everything is happening in the now well it's happening in the now because you're under a you're under a, a neurochemical sort of state you're in a state where hyperfrontality where you're just focused on that thing that's going on in your brain where it's not the thing that's supposed to be going on in your brain, but that sort of side problem you got, that's what you're focused on. That goes away. So you're solving the problem. You're working with people. You've got a lesson that counts and you know it counts. So that takes away the anxiety of who have got a problem off to the side. Kids are living in that constantly. So if you get rid of that, then the kids focus on the lesson. So now the lesson is the deep now. They start to bond with that. That's also neuroelectrical. That's a gamma sort of wave. When gamma waves start happening, that's a deep state. That's where the aha moments come from. That's an aha moment, a gamma state. That's when they go, but wait a minute. We're, you can actually see that on an encephalograph. You know, hey, what? That was an aha moment and a gamma state. And kids can get in that if the lesson is mattering. And it doesn't really matter if they understand the purpose overall in life. They understand today that I could get an aha moment. I could work in a group. I could learn this in biology. 
yeah, it's, it's groundwork. They're not solving the biggest problems of the world, but they're solving the biggest problems of their world. And that matters because they're learning to do that. And that's what learning is. You're talking about their immediate world, right? Exactly. I mean, okay. they're not all. Now let's, take, let's, let's let, let me switch this though, mm -hmm. because like I said, you're talking about in class, in school, mm -hmm. that purpose. That's what you're talking about. Yes. I'm talking about, okay. So we've done, we've, we've done things about, um, about flow states. We've had an episode on metacognition. We had an episode mm -hmm. on why, why should students go to college? And one of the problems that students have is the fact that they're not really focused. They really haven't understood exactly what it is that they really want to do. And so that's the purpose that I'm looking at. Why should they go to college if they have no purpose? What is their future purpose? What is it that they want to do with their lives? So, and I appreciate everything that you say and that everything that you said was true and honest. And ah. yes, but let me give you the definite a definition of purpose very quickly. And this is, I can, let me, because I, I took a lot of this from Angela Duckworth in Grit. And it is what fulfills us and transcends our own self-interest and to be oriented toward others also uses an intrinsic curiosity about the field, the field of study, the profession. Absolutely. For example, yeah, teaching yeah. can be fulfilling. Teaching can be fulfilling as we strive to work with all types of students, always working hard to ensure they can all comprehend and succeed. We also work hard to keep up with the literature, but we continue to explore new venues and methods in classes, books, and other forms to satisfy that need to know. Exactly. Yeah. I was speaking about the, this, the gateway it you're talking about the passion and I know, yeah, I know, I know Doug, Duckworth's well, work. Yeah. Well, she's well, talking about talent. There's talent and passion. Talent will get you like the opening of the eye. You're going, wow, I'm good at this. But unless you want to really do something that only takes you so far. It's the really wanting to do something, the passion to invest in it, the staying with it year after year after year. Is that what you're speaking of? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Because, well, according to Bloom and also according to Duckworth, uh, because Duckworth pulls a lot from Bloom and mm -hmm. Bloom in his developing talent in young people comes up with three different stages. And that purpose comes through those, the playing stage. And that's the discovery stage. That's where they find their interest. For example, um, maybe you, you found an interest because you were, okay, when I was a kid, I loved entomology. I would sit there and I would collect insects. I knew how to <laughs> do it. I had my chloroform jar. Oh, boy. And I... And I did tons. I mean, I had a lot of insects and I had them all laid out because back in those days we had tons of insects. It's before everybody went haywire with all the insecticides. So, and pesticides. And I learned a lot about those insects. I learned a ton about them. So that was my interest. That's where I went through everything. But I never hit stage two, which was the practice stage. And that's mm -hmm. where... You, and uh, it's where the passion is. 
that's where I had the interest. I dabbled. I was really interested, but my passion wasn't great enough for that. Right. So, and in Bloom's book, they take a look at a group of pianists. They look at a group of swimmers. They look at a group of neurologists. They look at a group of mathematicians. And I can't remember the others that they looked at. And they were looking for what are the threads that hold them all together? What are those things? And uh, so the playing stage is is the first one, mm-hmm. the interest, where things are tried out, practiced, and you dabble in it. I mean, it's not encompassing your whole life. That happens, that begins to happen in the second stage. And that's where you realize that you are good and you start looking for new things and nuances and you want to get these techniques down because, oh my gosh, yeah, this is getting fun now. Now I can do these and now I got the passion and you really want to push through. And then the third is what I say, um, what I interpreted as mastery. And that is purpose. And the skill becomes uniquely yours mm-hmm. through the technique and the expression. And yeah. you are able thusly to express yourself through that. So yeah. with music, through your sport, through your neurosurgery, I mean, yeah. even yeah. in teaching, you can do that same thing. Yeah. So you're able to, yeah. Does that make sense to you yeah, now? It yeah, does. And I would say that there's also... There's also a new sort of subgroup called a Renaissance master by which we have so much availability of information and so many different ways that we can become a master in different subjects and different disciplines. Life is long and like eight to 10 years. It used to be 10,000 hours that we said it took to become a true master of something that can be reduced. That can be reduced. And you can become well, a yeah, master at four to five different disciplines, radically different disciplines in one lifetime. And that can also be occurring as well. And I think the curiosity mm-hmm. that you can dabble in one, like, for example, you can be an entomologist as a youngster and then go and do totally different things and maybe research that and see if you can't become that as a 55, 60 year old again. And go back to it. I'm sure that has been happening to someone somewhere. You know, it never really went away. That formed a piece of you that just stayed. And then when you sort of went through your life, you added and added. And that block never really went away. That was never, quote, the past. That's just a part of who you are. Right. And And then I did dabble in biology. And I considered going for a double major with biology. That's mm-hmm. one of my majors at university. But um, yeah, I just wasn't serious enough about it. So Yet. it stayed at it stayed at the interest stage, which was dabbling. Now, here's my question. Here's my next question. Is okay, so <laughs> Christy Phillip, when you were when you were little tigers and you were like wrestling around with life and you were maybe five or six and they asked you what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. That's, what did you want to be, Christy? Age old chestnut. Um, my goal, my career goal for a very, very, very long time was to be a veterinarian. Okay. And so what did you do about it? I did a ton of, I mean, that was my major in college when I went. So I did um, 
you know, I did job shadows and I um, volunteered at the Humane Society and I volunteered in the veterinarian's office and I did all that stuff. And, you know, I really, and those were the classes that I really enjoyed were the, um, you know, math and science and all, you know, and plus I just love the puppies. Um, and that was my focus when I got to college. But then kind of the, my purpose was a bit countered with reality of how can how can I attain my goal given the scenarios and my financial situation and time like Philip was saying with you know time to acquire the skills needed for me to be able to um, live comfortably with my career so like realism kind of took over my just kind of like ultimate pursuit does that make sense sorry are you saying that 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 when you were doing it, all of a sudden, the reality of having to do the practicums and put in the internship hours and not having any kind of financial basis to support you at that time. I think the... the sort of slapped you across the yeah, head. Yeah, reality of being able to survive financially, the time involved and the education involved and the length that that field requires, that length of time mm -hmm. in order to do it, um, I my socioeconomic situation would not allow for it. I wouldn't be able to sustain it. It would be because mm -hmm. I was paying for everything. I didn't have a lot of money. It was going to be very, it's a long time to do all that stuff. And so mm -hmm. um, I it's had six to, years, does not it? Oh my God. Well, then you have to do your internship and then you have, you know, right. and all that after you get your medical degree, it was just very, it was, and I realized that my purpose, the passionate part that I really liked was the actual, the care of Mm -hmm. with the animals and the interaction with the people when they're bringing their pets in like mm -hmm. that really was kind of my main focus i just happened to be fairly skilled in the math and science portion and being able to think visually but that wasn't enough to overcome the like this is going to be so hard could you have, to get so done. could you have become could you have become something like a vet tech practitioner you know um, they have nurse practitioners mm -hmm. why not a vet tech practitioner uh, you know, I mean, definitely that is an absolutely reasonable career path, but at the same time as that decision was kind of shifting the other part of my career, like, you know, when you were at college, you had to take a language that was a requirement. And so your mm -hmm. choices were French, German, Spanish, or sign language. Um, and so I was like, well, I need to, that was just a class. I'll, you know, I talk with my hands, can't tell that on the podcast if you're listening, but like, I'm very animated. I'm a visual thinker and I'm like, I didn't do so well in Spanish and French and high school. So I'm like, Hmm, I will take sign language. You know, how hard could that be? And I just loved it. And just, um, it really, it kind of fit a lot of the same purpose being working with mm -hmm. others, um, being able to. Um, work in education was really nice and it fit, kind of met those same goals, my same purpose of like my growth as a, you know, as a citizen, right? Like what would be, what's engaging for me? What is something that is um, continually to, I'm curious about the cultural and intellectual part of it. And so I was, mm -hmm sign language and deaf culture was really interesting to me and I enjoyed it. And I was 
talented in that field and I could see attainment, right? I could get a degree mm -hmm. and employability and I would not have to work another like 10 years before I could do anything, right? Right. So it would roll out within enough time yeah. so that you would be able to achieve some sort of intrinsic yeah. satisfaction. And I think that's kind of goes back to my original thing with purpose, right? Like you can have these mm -hmm. goals and the journey and what you're focused on. And then sometimes you just got to kind of complete the tasks at hand to get you to be able to like, what, how do I want to be a citizen and contribute in my community and, right. and what I want to do? And then how can I get there? And then kind of realize that there might be some constraints that are out of my control. It's not okay. like, right. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, what's my, mm -hmm. what's all that that's influenced me so that I can be happy and content. Well, people change their careers maybe three, four times mm -hmm. during their lifetime. Yeah. Um, because they become interested and they find other pursuits. And sometimes it's the passion sort of wears out on them in one way, or they feel like they've conquered this one and here's another one. Mm -hmm. I have but one one life to give. Da, 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 da. Well, that was one of the so, articles I did look at about purpose and education and it's kind of that you know are you looking to become prepared for the workforce or are you looking is that your purpose to gain employment so i can um you know survive and meet mm -hmm. my basic needs or am i being prepared on a social cultural like citizenship feeding the soul right and those mm -hmm. aren't always unfortunately going to parallel each other and so right. kind of going back to what Philip was saying, I know I wanted to reach my goal of my passion. My purpose was to either be a vet or work with animals or um, be in education. But I am going to have to take this dumb class that I really see no purpose in in the now, but it gets me on my journey, <laughs> <laughs> right? Whichever that class yeah. may be. Gotcha. And that's that struggle that I think teachers and education systems as a whole is like, how do... You can't have both, although it would be wonderful. Every class can't feed your soul. A you know, if this is my life's passion is in all eight blocks, right? Like all of my classes, but they could get you on a journey. You can find pockets of success in there. Are there parts that you can adapt and learn from and then apply it towards your purpose? You know, that's, I think that's kind of. Or, or you figure out a way to provide yourself with a learning curve and you try to find other ways to uniquely express yourself in that class mm -hmm. so that in an appropriate way, of course. Um, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah. so that you are growing as a person because to me, a teacher who is not constantly looking to find ways to improve is stuck. And after a while being stuck and not doing anything new, I know teachers who have been teaching the same thing for the past 25, 30 years who don't go to conferences. They don't go to workshops. They don't feel as though they need to read because they know everything that they need to know. Mm -hmm. And so they don't really do much. I mean, they're not really teaching much at all except teaching what they believe and um, I don't know that the students actually gain a lot from that because right. That's nothing not changes. Teachers, that, those aren't the teachers we want in the schools. 
Well, those, we want the teachers that that below to grade 12 and below, we want teachers that want to invest in the subject, even if the subject's not going to really float the student's boat. You know, students that they don't they shouldn't have to take the classes like we take college classes to meet the minimum requirements. You know, um, I know I took well, a lot of courses yeah. in college like that. I tried to make them interesting. Most of them were some weren't um, some were disappointing. But yeah, in, in high school, none of them should be lecture. None of them should be a drag. Every teacher should be trying to make the content appealing to the students. It's not going to always work. Some of the students are going to be difficult because they're kids. But yeah, it, your job as a teacher at that level should be making it appeal mm -hmm. to the kids. So, Philip, I'm going to yes. change course here again. And what did little Philip want to do <laughs> when he was six or eight years old? Oh, my. Uh, I, I wanted to be a wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. So how did you Aww, work? Nice, congrats. How did, how did you work on that? I, I, uh, I, uh, well, first Because you would have played with, you would have played with Joe Montana, Dwight Clark, no, Ray Worshing. No, I would have played with Tina John Brody and Ted Qualick and Gene Washington. Are you talking, didn't you say the 49ers? Yes, that was the 80s. Joe Montana came around in the 80s. That was in my 20s. That's when they were winning. I well, wanted when do you when do you when they were losing? When, I was a 49er fan when they were losing. <laughs> but you were but turn see, I'm looking at it that you would have been there. You would have played with the 49ers when the yeah when yeah when you were yeah. in your 20s because that yeah. would be something. But you wanted to I, work I, with you just wanted to work with your heroes, right? Yeah, I just thought they were cool and they're athletic. And Gene Washington. Now I wanted to be like him, and I think he was six foot four slender and graceful. I mean, the guy ran, you know, like, I can't run. I'm, I was never slender. I'm not six foot four. I'm five foot nine, 165 pounds. It was a total <laughs> fantasy. Yeah. Anyway. And after that, I just wanted to be in the sixties. Actually, I was kind of bugged me that my brother got to go through the sixties and I missed it. <laughs> No, I can totally so, uh, Yeah. So I got into theater and did dance. You, and then. Did uh, you ever leave? The, did you ever leave the 60s? I kind of not. No, honestly. I, I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, can, I can see you rocking out to the Love and Spoonful. Uh, yeah, they were. They had a couple of good songs, I suppose. I still go see Dead and Company, but I, I don't dance yeah. like that. Um, no, it's, um, <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a baby boomer, but I'm not a baby boomer. It's interesting too, but in any case, anyway, uh, yeah, I got into teaching because I, I, I was a paramedic. I became a paramedic. And what that was, was laying the groundwork for just being what I call, well, what people call a sheepdog. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I, I take care of people. That's my thing. Um, right. I just feel purposeful. So what got you into being an EMT? Yeah, that's a quite a jump from how did, football. How did to you that. suddenly? There's you kind things. of skipped a bit yeah. there. It's kind of uh, um, that's that's a chunk of yeah. time there and a chunk of info that we kind of need to rattle around in your cage. Yeah, that so was an interesting experience. Yeah, I am. Um, I, so I why why would you become an EMT? I you know I think what it was I wanted to see kind of the grittier, darker side of of reality and life. And I figured that was kind of the quickest way to do it. 
I took the, um, yeah, the Christie route to it. I, it was, um, yep. I didn't want to be a firefighter and I did, I, and I wanted to do medical. And I, so, um, so it turns out being a firefighter, by the way, folks, is be, be a firefighter EMT. They're getting paid much better and the future is there. Being a, a private or a yeah, private paramedic in the town was just dead end turned out, but you I mean became like a private it? paramedic. Oh. And we responded to medical calls. And at the time we transported. So I was the primary caregiver and I did the full mm -hmm. thing. I was a national certified EMT paramedic and then an Oregon state EMT for paramedic. And I was with ALS and I worked at the trauma center at the university of Oregon trauma center as a trauma tech. It's still, wait, but and I don't think so, you ever yeah, answered. How did you go from, I'm going to be the star on the 49ers and then you take an immediate days. right turn into yeah, so, paramedic. Uh, things, uh, yeah. And I was also trying to juggle being a single father. So it was a little bit of transition yeah, like, 20s <laughs> yeah. and things kind of took it. Yeah. Wow. I took it, that partying scene with being a paramedic and then sharing custody with my ex-wife. Um, I got to a crisis point where um, I, I stopped drinking. Let's put it that way. Um, and uh, then, okay. um, yeah. And, and so uh I sort of just stopped drinking abruptly and went back to college in, I think it was about six months and started my new career because I went to a college counselor and I said, okay, I have this um, background in EMT, you know, being a paramedic and a trauma tech, what kind of credit can I have? And she said, none. And, and <laughs> had no, no reciprocity whatsoever. You have to start. <laughs> the beginning. She said, but look at Perfect. it this way. Um, the tests will be easy. <laughs> he said, Oh, well, swell. Um, so Perfect. I thought, well, the hours were tough and I, and I was really impressed with becoming a flight nurse, um, on life flight because I'd flown with life flight sometimes as a trauma tech and sometimes as a paramedic. And those flight nurses were amazing, amazing technicians. They were, they were amazing. And, um, that kind of got dashed to pieces cause I'd have to start at ground zero. And I thought, well, I always wanted to be a teacher and that yeah. was, so I just focused on that. And then I went through college and it was well-rounded and my schedule was nails. And I'm proud to say I got, I got three associates and two bachelors with the minimum amount of credits necessary for all <laughs> five of those degrees. Not one wow. credit wasted, <laughs> not one. Um, I don't know how I pulled that off, but yeah. So as I, I, yeah, I had like, I was considered uh, an extra class every term was, you know, to take care of myself credits, you know, like what do I need the next term and the term after that? And I always like had it all figured out. And then I got into the master's program and that I was teaching. So. See, and it's the same kind of thing where, you know, you've got your purpose, but then, you know, yeah. life happens, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. But then purpose can always change. I mean, there's nothing that says that it can't, but then you have, but then maybe as you get older, the interest stage, the dabble stage that grows yeah. shorter mm -hmm. because yeah. you've already had a lot of life experience. But I think what I'm trying to get to is when you were a kid, you started playing around with a lot of a lot of these things. I mean, part of me wanted to be one of the world's greatest swimmers too. And I loved swimming and I competed heavily and I, I did very, very well. And, um, but back then, I mean, who made money swimming except for Mark Spitz and, yeah. um, but yeah. And I think that we look at our talents and our skills 
And I believe it's in Grit where Angela Duckworth refers to, and I can't remember who did it, if it was she or somebody else, but they took some students and they asked them, with your talents, what would you like to be able to do that would benefit the world? What were the age of the kids? And they, sorry? I, I believe that they were juniors and seniors. Oh, okay. So it wasn't, you know, I was picturing so it I made, people and they're like, this, this, I've, I've been looking all over for it in the book, both audio and physical, and I can't seem to locate it. So maybe I was hallucinating, but they, that once the students discovered what their, what they wanted to do with their, with their lives, what kind of social impact they wanted to have, then all of a sudden that's where the maths, that's where the English, that's where everything started to have a focus for them so that they knew how they could use it and how it would incorporate into their goals. And then they, their grades improved. Hmm. They went way up. That makes sense. And because they, mm-hmm. well, because if you have a purpose and if you know what it is that you're doing and you can apply it, then you have the relevance of what's necessary. So is this going to work for everybody? No, it's not. Because we still have students who will say, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I really don't have a clue. And so they grasp at straws with things that sound like something that they want to do, but they don't know. Right. I fell in, I swore I would never be a teacher. I did not want to be a teacher. What? I fell into ghostwriting. Yeah. You would not I, I fell into ghost- never be a teacher. Okay. I swear I would never be a teacher. And what okay. I've discovered in my life is that if I say I will never do something, I end up doing it. Um, I fell into <laughs> ghostwriting. I fell into ghostwriting and I ghostwrote um, and I made some decent money on that. Um, I And I learned a great deal from it and it was quick. It was easy and it was fun. Um, but the teaching, there was a sense of fulfillment that I had that I enjoyed it. It was, it was pretty simple. I mean, emergency license and everything. And then when I moved back up to Oregon and I got my Oregon license, that's when things really started to fall into place for me. And, uh, yeah. So I have the equivalent of two or three bachelor's degrees and two or three master's degrees in a way. So it's weird. Um, weird. But did you did you call me weird? You said it was weird. It was weird. Yeah. Oh yes. No. Oh, I thought you called me weird. <laughs> no, I mean, what? it's okay. This isn't that. This is just a big editing thing. Um, oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Show off. Fine. Okie dokie. <laughs> but I think I think what came of it was. I think by the time that you get to where I was in my life, I had already done so many different kinds of things. I had already worked up in Alaska and I ran and managed um, fish processing. I did liaison work between the Japanese and our company. I was also offered not only a job as a fish broker in Japan, but I was also offered the ship to run the ship and to own oh, it and to like, work with the company. They gave and you the ship? And to just lease it That's out cool. and make money that way. Um, I learned so many different things that were going on. 
And I loved it. I really did, but it, but I couldn't see myself doing it. Did it change your purpose? And like, do you feel that it shifted? Like how it, because that my, seems to be the pattern is that when you're younger, you're kind of more in the now, like I'm, I'm fulfilling my mm-hmm. purpose right now and reckless abandon about how this is going to look down the road. And then it seems kind of as we get either older or, you know, you get into high school college, then it's more like, I'm really pursuing my, I'm in the now, but I'm also looking at how this is going to, how can I sustain this? You're kind of looking at the journey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I never really (laughs) did look at the journey. I was just looking at where's my next meal going to be coming from and how am I going to sustain? And your journey was shorter, right? But you had to figure out how your passion or your interest in there was going to be able to be sustainable. Whereas when you're a little right. kid, you're, always... just, you're just, I'm going to play with bugs, right? I don't care if this isn't a job mm-hmm. that I could possibly do or how am I going to, oh. right, build a yeah. uh, a nest egg by studying, you know, butterfly, right? Like you're just enjoying the passion in the now. Whereas like, as we all get right. older, and I also had happens. Well, right. And I had my own lawn business that I did during the springs and summers and falls. I did, um, I had a paper route that I start, I started my first one in fifth grade and I did that well into my high school years. I, Oh my gosh, know, Tony, you have a... too many jobs for this podcast. Oh, <laughs> like, I, I've had a list of jobs. I actually, people say, what have job so haven't you jobs. had? Yeah. I know. Well, I, my parents, they didn't know what to do with us during the summer cause we had just moved. And so they dropped my brother and me off downtown with the day laborers. And then we were picked up by a pickup truck. And I said, where are we going? My brother said, I don't know, but hopefully we get paid. And we went out there and we pulled rye in the wheat fields. And I and here I am. I was, what, 11, 12? Okay. Outside and of agricultural I job, made, what was the youngest you were when you worked a job job outside of agriculture? I got fired from a job. He found out I was 13. I don't know why he hired me, but I, I was happy. Two days later, he goes, I didn't know you were 13. I said, well, yeah. He goes, I can't hire you. I go, well, you did. He sent me home. Well, I was 13. I, yeah. my, brother was in, my brother was in student achievement, and I used to go around the neighborhood, and I sold all of his stuff. Huh? That might work. Yeah. And, I would get, and, and, I kept, and I kept the money. I was a laundromat. I was working in a laundromat and he fired me. I was cleaning up. I probably was probably hazardous. Oh, I come to think of it. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't fired. I just ran out of product. Oh, well, that might, yeah. So, and then I got fired from a movie theory because I found out I was 14, but there you go. <laughs> oh, I did that too. And I was offered my own movie theater. Um, well, I was 14. I, I you know, I think that, but I think, I think when you're young, you start looking at different jobs that you have yeah. and, and you, it, it, it tends to harness different powers that you have and allows you to exploit those. And if you are mm-hmm. quiet and if you watch and you learn, you learn the things not to do and you learn the things to do mm-hmm. and you see what's effective and what's ineffective. Um, biggest impact on me was when a girl came in, she was constantly late. She was warned. Her parents dropped her off. This is long before cell phones. And her parents dropped her off. The manager turned around and said, oh, you're here. And she said, yeah. And he said, go home. We don't need you anymore. You're fired. And she said, what? And he said, you're fired. She said, but my parents already left. He said, that's not my problem. My problem is the fact that you were 20 minutes late and I told you not to be late again. 
And she just sat there and she started crying. He said, I need you to leave the premises of the theater because you're making a scene and the scenes need to be on the screen. Ah, so, <laughs> a little pun. Oh, oh. Wow. Yeah. But I think, but you know, I, this, this whole thing came up because here I am reading Angela Duckworth and, and grit. And I think that purpose actually brings out if once students find a purpose and it doesn't matter. Um, I know that, I asked some students to move some things for a friend of mine and they went up there and they came out and they looked at me and they said, he paid us. And I said, well, thank God. And they said, no, but we love doing it. That felt so good to be doing something for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and not every student, not every kid gets to feel that, but is that going to lead them to a purpose? No, but they know that they want to have a positive impact, right? So how do we teach that? Should we teach, begin to start teaching that in the elementary years when um, Tommy Thumbsucker says that he wants to be a ballet dancer? You know, I mean, how do you do that? What, do you, what, what does it take in order to be a good dancer, mm -hmm. in fact? And that's hours and hours and hours and hours of practice, and it's constant. And just looking at what you're doing and working on your technique and working on your balance, your poise, everything. It's like being a good athlete. Because, Philip, if you were going to be a football player, you needed to do a lot more than be able to run for a pass. Oh, right? I had no idea. No, none. <laughs> Did you not play football? No, I don't. They didn't even offer any, any football until I was uh, at least 13. So... I had to just pretend oh, for wow. years anyway. Yeah. And now, of course, there's so much more knowledge out there. If yep. I really wanted to be a wide receiver, I would have been knowledgeable enough to know that I would have been a better tight end. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you would make some See, I played tackle. I played tackle from the time I was in fourth grade on. No, we didn't have it here. It started in the seventh grade. Oh. Yeah, I guess I grew up in a different town than you did. Yeah, I grew up right um, here. I did too. I did not. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you grew up near Sun City. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Phoenix, Arizona. Yes. Yep. Yes. 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 Anyway, so here's the question: How do you? Okay. So, in order, how would Gardner or Universal Design for Learning? How would that work with? trying to teach a purpose and helping students explore. How would you, let's say that you were going to teach, you wanted to develop a program and with your colleagues. And let's say that you got together with a group of other teachers from different, from different, uh, oh, what's, from different departments. Disciplines. And you wanted to figure this whole thing, disciplines, thank you. Um, and you wanted to put all this together. How would you do that to determine interest through play and discovery, investigations, et cetera. First, first off, it's really important yes. autonomy. The kids have to have autonomy. Um, I would ask the kids, let the kids invest, find out where the kids are going with it. That's important. If you had that opportunity, you're saying that, you know, let's get together and we can do this. I would say survey, whatever it took, get to know these kids and find out where they want to go with it and then adapt that. 
and as teachers hone it. I'm glad you brought that up because there have been studies that now demonstrate the fact that parents who hover and are constantly monitoring everything that their child does, we like to call them helicopter parents, Mm -hmm. and there's other names for them, but they tend, those children tend to be more afraid to take risks and they are, they're, they're very slow to grow because it's very difficult for them to try to figure anything out because somebody's always telling them what to do or how to do it or that if they yes. do it, that it's being, it's being censored. So I think the autonomy is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. So yeah, um, that's a good one. And Christy. Um, I was kind of so entranced with Philip's answer. I've now forgotten the original. What was your original question? How, how would you, if you were to grab a group of other disciplinaries mm-hmm. um, and teachers and put them together and say, let's figure out a way to work on the um, determining interest for our students. And we're going to incorporate gardeners, gardeners intelligences, multiple intelligences, and also universal design for learning. How would we be able to do that to get the kids to start exploring some of their interests? And what are some things that we can do? How would you take that on? I really like the idea of if you've got different departments um, and some schools do this really well that I've read about is if you can connect some of those themes through multiple uh, disciplines, right? So it's not just everything is being learned in a silo, but if you can somehow connect through, um, you know, like our construction by design, right? You've got the math and it's being segued through and you can see it going into um, the the woodworking and the construction. And then you can take it another level where you're also find what is the your community's need. And so they um, built something, I think, like with, you know, I don't know, a gazebo or a habitat with humanity Project or something space. like that. So you're you're seeing these themes mm-hmm. throughout the the discipline. Um, it could be the same with you know, you could do business and connect it with health and connect it with sports. And so you can kind of have that whole, you're just building the connections there. And so they're kind of, and then that's where people's strengths and learning styles can be explored. And so I really like if that can be done as much as possible so that people can have those aha moments and they're seeing what the what the purpose of the task is. So instead of just me teaching you, I'm going to teach you about geometry. And then the next class, you're like, I'm going to build something. And then over here, I'm going to try and create some empathy about helping those who may not be able to help themselves, right? If they hurricanes came through or they lost a home in a flood and those kind of things, but teaching those in a silo doesn't really kind of create that, that purpose, right? That sense of citizenship and, and right. the empathy and relevance and the relevance. So that's what I would like to see if, if, if departments or disciplines can kind of, um, I think it's critical, right? That you're linking your learning and your sense of social responsibility 
And then you've got those interpersonal skills because you can you know, do all that stuff with each other. Um, and then you're also learning those kind of, we talked about in a podcast a long time ago, right? What are those essential 21st century skills, right? So you're learning mm -hmm. about, you know, timelines and, and how to break big projects down into small obtainable steps. And um, I think that's, that would be my goal. That would be my dream is to have all these throughout. How do we teach careers though? You know, um, because I remember, and I flashed on this while you were speaking, I remember years ago as we were, as we were teaching and we had to use the textbook, which I never really used a whole lot, but they said, <laughs> you need to go over the different careers and you need to make these careers so that the students are aware of what those careers are. And that just felt really super, superfluous and superficial. Mm -hmm. And the students didn't really pay that much attention to it anyway. Um, how do we make, how do we get them aware of different kinds of careers? For example, um, we do something every year. Well, not this year, uh, but we have, and it's called Manufacturing Day. And it's where the students go out and they visit different manufacturing plants. I went with you that they one time. Go, okay, that wasn't that. No, but I mean like the event. That's an internship. <laughs> but like going to see, instead of just having yes. someone come and go, wah, wah, this is a great career. You're going right. to see the career in action and you're seeing all the different um, and all, skills and, you and understand, jobs that are right. required of not just that one area or department, but like the whole business. Yeah. I love it. It was mm -hmm. great. Yeah. No, we went, we would go to two different businesses. So we went one year, we went to a sheet metal fabrication place. And then from there we went to, Oh Lord, where did we go? Oh, we went from there. We went to a chip manufacturing plant. Potato chip. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Chocolate chip. So they, and to a tech company and they learned things. And one of the students, um, he wasn't, he was pretty nonplussed by the first one, but the second one, all of a sudden his little radars went off and he was just at home and he was discussing all kinds of ideas with them. And everybody else was kind of um, sitting back and just, looking for where they were supposed to go because he was in a completely different world than everybody else. And he just knew so much. Um, and that was a great highlight for him. It highlighted things for all the kids. One year, our kids after lunch, we went to a different kind of manufacturing place where it, they dealt with plastics and it was a lot of injection molding. And they were asking the students questions and the students were zombies. And you could tell that yep. these people were so frustrated because they had these presentations all mapped out and everything. And they were getting absolutely no response. And they were so frustrated. And they finally just threw their hands up and said, fine. And the kids went through everything. And when we got back, I said, what was your favorite one? And they said, it was that one. <laughs> I said, well, why didn't you say anything? They said, oh, we were just tired. And so I called them and I emailed them and I explained what happened and um, never heard back. But <laughs> we don't know what really motivates kids, what actually triggers into them because they are so stoic sometimes. Right. And well, they're not going to um, give us anything. There's, there's this program that I was researching. It's a, 
the Pillager Public Schools, I believe it's in Indiana, they do a program in the middle schools where they have uh, pods. I, I believe they're uh, two-week programs, maybe four-week programs, and they do like a medical pod, and they'll do um, an engineering pod, and I, I can't recall the others, but for the medical, they'll actually study medical careers, and then they'll study parts of them, look into them, and then they'll go to sites in the third and fourth week. They'll go to a uh, hospital, they'll go to a um, um, uh, urgent care, and they'll actually experience the careers themselves, and then uh, they'll go on to another pod the next four weeks, and they experience it that way. And they also use um, multiple intelligences mm -hmm. um, as well to reach the kids. So it's very experiential and it's very autonomous. And sometimes the kids don't like the, some of the pods. They're not really into them. And sometimes they're like, oh, my gosh, I never really realized this was the best thing ever. And I really want to do this. And passion gets lit and who knows what happens next. But, yeah, so they I, they want an award well, for I think. And I think the uh, one thing that really does is the arts actually allows the students to do all this. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And in and, and I was just thinking, you know, you think about kids who just draw and they doodle and everything, and once they get into the arts, they can get into the digital arts. They can do um, oils, watercolors. They can do all kinds of things, manipulatives with ceramics. They could do it with sh with vocational arts, like with shop, like with auto tech. Right. They could do it um, with theater. They can do it with music. Uh, but it's they can express themselves, and they find it. They can dabble, but then they start understanding more nuances, and they're able to yeah. flex their muscles, so to speak, and they can get in there. And so. Their interest is there. They practice all these things and the passion starts hitting them and they're going 100% into it and they have a purpose and they know where they're going. They know what, what is driving them. Unfortunately for a lot of those in the arts though, something else happens. And usually it has to do with sustaining. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Christy in yep, tech. Right. So, um, I have a good friend. He is uh, his oldest son was a musician, and he did incredibly well. He was he was doing top dog in all the music programs he was in. He did extremely well musically, and then he turned to painting. Yeah. And now he's making really good money as as an artist, and he's getting commissions all over the place, and it's. You know, his father is just absolutely proud of him. His mother is absolutely proud. But he was able to do that because he is very artistic. Now, there was a long time that he had to bartend. Yep. And he had to pursue his passion on the side. A lot of people do that. You hear about actors doing that in yeah. Hollywood and in New York yeah. and in Chicago and in Seattle. But there's, um, I think that if you really are that passionate that you're going to find a way to sustain it to make it actually happen for you where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. And, but I think that the arts really are a really good starting point. Mathematics is another one because we don't really think that much about mathematics, but mathematics can be an art form because it's a language form. 
because math is a language and it puts things together, but math is also about patterns. So if you look at the patterns of mathematics, those can also be an art form. And there's there are so many different ways of looking at it. It all depends on your perspective. So where I might not see it, somebody else may. If somebody is passionate about astronomy, um, what are they going to do with it? Uh, my best friend in high school, he was a total nerd. Um, his parents were like incredible people. His whole family, he had two sisters who were college professors. His brother was on his way to being a college professor. And guess where he ended up? He's a college professor. <laughs> and he taught at, um, oh Lord, I can't remember where he taught. And now he's at Johns Hopkins. Nice. And he, he does very, very well. And that was his passion. He just loves science. And when we got our first computer, this is long before our laptops or desktops. When we got our first computer, he was mesmerized and he was there with that computer. He just loved physics. He loved the sciences. And so he became a nuclear physicist. Wow. <laughs> so, but I had another friend ah. who became, who's, who, who's in environmentals. He, he does oceanography and environment. And he was a painter. Oh, and he said he took a class in college and, and we were talking and he said, yeah, I took this class and I think that I kind of want to do this instead of painting. I just don't see my life as a painter. I see it doing something else and I love science. So how do we teach purpose? You know, I mean, can we teach purpose at the high school level? I think maybe partly we can, but. Oh, yeah. Like every other one, it's a complicated topic. It really is a complicated topic, and I think we're going to have to revisit it. I think we're going to have to look at it again. But I think that we hit some good points. Mm -hmm. Yes. 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 I mean, we got some clarification, um, and we have some good ideas. Maybe somebody else has something else that they want to share. Yeah. So that would be a great way to comment. <laughs> um, or you can email us at educationaltriage at gmail.com. And Christy, it's so good to know that you're not lying at the bottom of the I know, right? In the over I know. <laughs> yes. Thank you for all your care and warm well wishes about my whereabouts. Much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> you're not lying at the bottom of the ditch. I am not dead. <laughs> and. <laughs> And our next episode, we're going to be talking with Courtney Lear, who is going to talk about using neuroscience in the classroom. So I want to thank all of you for listening. And until next week, good night. Aloha. Bye.